Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. On AM, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Cricket Collective, West Indies versus England. Series preview on Talk Sport. Well, hello and uh, welcome. For the first time on Talk Sport to the Cricket Collective, I'm John Norman. And over the next hour, I'm joined by one of the world's few truly elite radio cricket commentators and uh, a pretty good bloke as well, Neil Manthorpe. Also on the show, joining us from the Caribbean, the region where his legend was born, it's Steve Harmison. And ahead of us uh, over the next hour, an exclusive interview with Johnny Bairstow. And you'll also hear from the likes of Ben Stokes, Sir Vivian Richards and even Lord Botham. The show, well, it was supposed to be 60 minutes where three mates could come together and celebrate the very best of what our sport can offer. The first tour by an Australian side to Pakistan in a generation. Virat Kohli's 100th Test match. The start of England's defence of the Women's World Cup. And of course... A small matter of that uh, England men's tour of the Caribbean. And then, in less time than it took for a cricket ball to float up out of the hand, hit the deck and either shoot straight on or veer dramatically to one side, everything changed. He's the most amazing human being. Amazing guy, extraordinary energy, and he gave this life a good crack. I mean, he, mm. he fitted more in in his 52 years than most of us do in 90 of them. Warney was an all-time great, a once-in-a-century type cricketer, and his records will live on forever. Got him! There it is! Wicket number 700! And they can't catch him! We'll still be talking about Shane Warne in 100 years. What would I say? I would say that I would trust him with my life. I mean, he was he was just a brilliant, brilliant bowler. I mean, that's, that goes without saying. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. 
And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. We can talk about him as a rock and roll character. He was generous to a fault. He lived life to the full. He was Peter Pan. I would rate him as one of the great enthusiasts for anything. Everything about Shane Warne was that good. The man and the cricketer. He was just a wonderful human being and it's just such a tragedy. I don't know how to really describe any more than that, to be honest. Put it this way, the game was definitely richer for having him in it, that is for sure. Um, and he, he made he made spin bowling, um, spin bowling tall, for goodness sake. Ah! Bowl him! There it is, the battle's over! And Shane Warne gets his fourth. What a delivery! 2005 just epitomised what Shane Warne was. He could do what uh, others couldn't, and he would dare to do what others wouldn't. He was so good at times you felt that he was trying to keep you in just so that he could have a bit more fun. Of all the people you could imagine being a terrible loss, he's top of the list really because he gave so much. I say you summed it up well, he gave so much in so many areas. The game was never the same after Warney emerged, and the game will never be the same after his passing. So, <clears throat> some of the uh, the views and the words you would have heard there, the likes of the current Australia uh, skipper, Pat Cummins, uh, Mark Nicholas, of course, who wrote Shane's biography as part of TalkSport's cricket coverage, uh, Steve Harmison, who will be on the show very shortly, and uh, and plenty more. Mark Butcher, you know, uh, he, he, he almost felt like he kept you in just because he just wanted to have a bit more time playing with you, essentially. Um, David Bumble Lloyd. I mean, the list unfortunately went on and on and on. Uh, Neil Manthorpe's alongside me. I mean, Neil, after the shock of the 24 hours that followed, the last 48 hours has uh, essentially made me, it's almost made me reevaluate my relationship with cricket. Um, as someone who uh, grew up in this country and, of course, has made a name within South African cricket yourself. I mean, we've heard a lot about the English and the way that we... About the way that Shane tormented us, essentially, whether you were Mark Butcher, uh, my hero, Alex Stewart, or me as, a, as an England cricket fan, but, like, many, many thousands of English cricket fans. And we've heard the Australian angle as well, but how will he be remembered in South Africa, imagine very, very similar circumstances to the way uh, he's being remembered here in England. The big moments, John, the big moments. The, um, he won all of them, I think it's fair to say. Um, he, were, I mean, he was remembered with enormous fondness and the reality is that he said even after he had retired that of all the tours that he went on in a decade and a half, his favourite was the one to South Africa in 1994 historic circumstances obviously and you know he he's got so many tales to tell of that um the the favorite one of of course is uh, the his, Brian McMillan yeah. one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> only, well, only Shane Warne could essentially reflect on the best tour of his life being the one where Brian McMillan snatched a, an Uzi from a security guard. Well, he didn't. He didn't need to snatch it. He said, "Listen, just let me borrow it." Because it's South Africa, nineteen ninety-four. You know, policemen weren't shy about handing over their weapons for a bit of fun to <laughs> torment the Australians in the change room. But he was. I mean, could really, you imagine that now? He was. No, we no, no. I couldn't. Not even in South Africa, actually. I think you might find that uh, South African police officers would would say, "No, sorry, I need to look after my weapon." Just for listeners who aren't familiar with the story. It's a ridiculous story, but essentially Shane Warne's first tour overseas, possibly he might have gone to, he might, it might have been his second or third, but essentially he's on the field with Alan Border, who is just ridiculously no-nonsense. 
And Brian McMillan, who, if you've listened to a lot of Talk Sports cricket commentary, you will hear this this name mentioned a lot by Goffey. Goffey it was in awe of Brian McMillan. Essentially, there was a bit of a tete-a-tete, wasn't there, on the field. They go off for lunch, and Brian McMillan essentially convinces a security guard to give him a gun. A police officer. A police officer. He then walks down the corridor between the South African dressing room and the Australian one, kicks down the door, and then jumps in with a gun and essentially pretends like he's going to shoot Alan Border and the Australian <laughs> cricket team. Uh, well, he'd been tormented, hadn't he, McMillan? And uh, Warren, had, Warren had tormented him on the field. He'd got him out with the flipper a couple of times and he said, I can't wait for you to get down the other end um, because uh, I, know, I know I'm going to get you out. You can't pick the flipper and, and uh, you're, you're a sitting duck. Not as much of a sitting duck as Daryl Cullinan was. But yeah, McMillan goes in at lunchtime, not before the start of play or at the end of play, at lunchtime and says, right, I've had just about enough of you blokes. <laughs> And, and so like, apparently the safety catch was on, but the Australian players well, didn't right. know that. Look, it, it's. I suppose it says something that we can smile now after a couple of days, but we didn't know Shane as a friend. We knew him as a colleague at times um, in passing, but uh, the two people we're going to speak to now faced up against each other in terms of Steve Harmison and essentially his mate, um, Marcus North. Marcus... Uh, uh, thanks for joining us on the on the Cricket Collective. Uh, I mean, essentially, you made your debut for Australia just after Shane had uh, had walked away from the stage. But but I guess his presence must have been just so evident within that dressing room, even though he wasn't actually playing anymore. Yeah, I mean, look, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, look, it, you kind of you felt the legacy of not just Shane, but you know, a number of players or the the you know, played for Australia before I had the opportunity. And like you just said, Shane wasn't too far um, retired at the stage when I came in in 2009. Um, but look, yeah, it's, yeah he, he's, he's got to be a huge loss. Um, he, he was just an amazing player for, for Australia and was someone that, you know, when I was growing up, you know, that kind of early 90s when he, when he burst, onto that, burst onto the scene, was was just at the age when I was really falling in love with the game. Um, you know, I, there was an era of absolute pace bowling around the world, dominated by the West Indies, and you know, then Shane came in and and made spin bowling really cool. And I, I, I feels like yesterday, kind of reflecting with everything that's gone on the last couple of days, that you know, that had in the back garden in Perth and Western Australia was whenever I was bowling, I was I was bowling Shane Shane Warne leg spin, and whenever I was batting, I was a left-hander, as you know, I was, I was BC Lara, you know. So, you know, he, he's he's touched a lot of players, um, you know, through his performance. But certainly, you know, when he played, he's inspired a lot of us to to, to, to play cricket as well. Marcus Neil Manthorpe here. Um, I uh, don't know whether I went over the top a couple of days ago when I compared him to Tiger Woods in the effect that he had on golf. Um, very few cricketers can genuinely be credited with changing the game changing the 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 whole face of the game um uh, you know the, the a few from Gary Sobers and um uh, and you mentioned Brian Lara but i mean it's fair to say that hundreds of thousands if not millions of boys and girls were drawn to the game because of because of Shane Warne oh without a doubt there's, there's you know certainly speaking from a you know young kid in australia um you know that that was was absolutely you know, Shane Warne was kind of on everyone's lips. Everyone was bowling like Shane Warne down the nets. 
at training, you know, under 13 training, you go down and uh, you'd have a number of coaches nearly saying, can you just bowl properly? You're a, you're a quick bowler. You're not Shane Warne. Because everyone just wanted to kind of roll, roll the wrist over and, and try and bowl the flipper or the googly. Um, but you, you, look, I don't think you're overacting at all, Neil. You know, this is a guy that was a superstar of, of, uh, of our sport, cricket. He was arguably, you know, one of the, if not the best, one of the best players that ever have played the game. Um, but I guess the impact that he had, um, you know, and, 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 you know, his style of play and his, his character and his personality made him a global star, um, you know, and, and crossed over to other codes. You know, you're looking, some of the pictures that we've seen in the papers the last couple of days, you know, with movie stars, Michael Jordan, um, you know, even you know, Nike actually kept, came chasing Shane Warne to create a, a cricket brand within the Nike um, family. So yeah, this, this was the impact this guy had, you know, through the 90s and 2000s. I um, recorded a, a podcast with Jared Kimber last night and he made mention of a story which he believes to be true. And to be honest with you, I'm just going to go with it. But essentially, <laughs> as much has been said about the relationship between Shane Warne and Russell Crowe, you know, and some of the people that tweeted about Shane's passing, you know, they, they're up there. Um, and there's a scene in Gladiator where, <laughs> where essentially uh, Russell Crowe runs some, some sand through his fingers when he's on the in the Colosseum, and there's a story that that's actually an he's it's in homage to Shane Warne. <laughs> now I don't know if it's true, but do you know what? When you look at the life that he led, I, I I'd have to believe it to be so. Um, and please say Steve Harmison's also with us. Steve, I mean, it, you you were you starred in two thousand and five. Um, a lot of people started in 2005, but I think it's fair to say that whilst England did beat Australia in that Ashes series to end all Ashes series, they didn't beat Shane Warne, did they? No, no, we didn't get anywhere near to beat. We didn't beat Shane Warne with a bat, never mind with a ball. I think that was the that's the, the, the sort of the hardest. The hardest thing was for the England team, and we had arguably one of the best bowling attacks in world cricket at the time. Um, and we couldn't beat him with a bat. Never mind, he got 40 wickets with a ball. And that was always our biggest challenge. We seemed to find a way of getting you know, the, the, the first seven top players. But then when we did, <clears throat> Shane, many times, I can think of 90, when he got 90 and hold out to Gilo at, at Old Trafford, when we were, we, we, we would have won that game if it wasn't for Shane Moore. The game was drawn. Rookie Ponton, yes, he got run second innings. But we, we had Australia where we wanted them, and it was typical Shane Warne. You know, there was nobody in the world other than Shane Warne, I think, believed that they had a chance to win Sunday morning at Edgebaston, apart from Shane Warne and whoever he went out to bat with, whether it was Brett Lee or whoever he was going to come in next, because Shane Warne was going to convince them that he had test 90s and he was going to get the runs, even though that they needed 107 to win with two wickets to go. That was the, the mark of the man. And then I'm just talking about 2005 here. And then if he opened the ball in the edge, Baston, in the second innings, there's a good chance to win a one because we're, th- we're 37 for none when Ricky threw him the ball. Um, and we you know, just managed to get over the line with Jalo and, and, and Hoggy, um, largely down to the fact, the worn factor. It wasn't how good he bowled. It was just worn factor. This was, a, this was a, an iconic figure. And I talked about it the other day. He's the only man I've ever stood at the non-striker's end and watched 
and couldn't stop watching. I just couldn't stop watching. I was mesmerised by standing at the non-striker's end, non-concentrating on what was happening at the other end, not worrying what, what my partner was doing, just by watching the horror of this great, great man. It's just so sad, so sad from the other day. It really is. And uh, unfortunately, the, it's it's been a terrible week for cricket because not only Shane Warren, but of course... Um, a guy that meant a lot to you, Marcus, uh, and unfortunately, this the sad news from Friday has, has somewhat overshadowed it uh, in terms of a global story. But um, just tell us a little bit about Rod Marsh, because of course, a predecessor of yours as captain of Western Australia, a man you knew well, and of course, he himself passed away. And, and indeed, that was Shane Warne's final tweet, wasn't it, to to send his love to the family and uh, and say that he he, he was di- in disbelief at the fact that that Rod Marsh had passed only four hours later. Um, what we believe to be a similar fate to have befallen him. But uh, just give us an idea. Well, Shane Warne was a man who had many passions and many lives and many, many roles in and around the game and outside of it. Rod Marsh was a 100% cricket man, wasn't he? Yeah, look, he was a legend of Western Australian cricket. Um, you know, so I kind of grew up, um, you know, certainly very much aware of, you know, his standing within the game in Australia, but certainly, you know, at my home state. And I guess my my real first interaction with Rod was um, being selected to go to the Australian National Cricket Academy in Adelaide, um, which I think Harmy experienced as well. Um, you know, and he, Rod was very old school um, and probably rightly so. When I went to the academy, I think it was 98. Um, so that's some time ago now. But I, you know, he, I went there as a, a kind of talented kid, really. Um, and I spent a good part of nine to 12 months under Rod in a very, very tough, challenging uh, environment, uh, a school that, you know, was very much there to produce first-class international cricketers. And, you know, after that nine or 12 months, you know, I walked away after arriving as a, as a kid, um, you know, walked away as a young man as, as best prepared to going into first-class cricket than, you know, I could, I could ever imagine to be. And I, you know, I, every time I had the, 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 the chance to, to come across Rod, you know, I, I made a point to thank him every time I did. I didn't get to do it very often. You know, we didn't cross paths a hell of a lot. Um, but I certainly, you know, made sure that I, I thanked him every time I, I, I saw him for, you know, the influence he had on me at the, the National Cricket Academy. Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. I know it's been a tough couple of days for you, so we really appreciate you uh, just giving us uh, a few minutes just to give us a little bit of insight about uh, both Shane Warne and, of course, Rod Marsh, who passed away uh, in the last uh, couple of days. Uh, you're listening to Cricket Collective on Talk Sport with myself, John Norman, alongside Neil Manthorpe and Steve Harmison. Next up, we're going to try and talk a little bit about cricket. Um, and we're going to hear from the England batter, Johnny Bairstow, who's been speaking exclusively with Harmy over in and Tiga. That, of course, is ahead of Tuesday's first test against the West Indies. Every ball live and exclusive over on TalkSport 2. Joseph in once again, and that's edge to second slip. Jason Holder takes the catch, and England have been bowled out for 77. I know that we need to turn things around, and we need to start putting in performances. Here is Wood. Looks at it! I want to see England win. Of course I do. You know, I'm as big a fan as any other, anyone out there sat there watching. You know, I'm just very fortunate to be in the position to affect the games. 
England's tour of West Indies it gets underway on TalkSport 2 on Tuesday. We uh, begin broadcasting at 1pm, uh, Teams and Toss at 1.30. And, uh, yeah, the action gets underway at 2pm. We've had uh, the 12 that have been named and no Ollie Robinson. He's been ruled out with a back spasm issue. So it does look like it's a toss-up between uh, Overton and Mahmood, although... The man to the right of me thinks that there is another solution um, to how English should go about things. However, we're not going to speak to Neil Manthorpe just now because I'm pleased to say that uh, our main man in Antigua um, has caught up with Johnny Bairstow. Steve Harmison sat down uh, with uh, the number six bat and non-wicketkeeper for England uh, to find out whether he's happy or not. Let's have a listen. Johnny, thanks for joining us on TalkSport. Um, first of all, how's preparation been? Yeah, it's been good. Um, obviously, uh, nice to get together, uh, back out. Obviously, in the Caribbean, an amazing place to come and tour, as you, as you well know. So, yeah, the warm-up game went really well and the lads got uh, time in the middle out there and also the bowlers, although there was a couple of little bits, uh, managed to get through. And, the, you know, a lot's been made since, obviously, Australia. Um, New coaching staff, no Broad Anderson. From an experienced player's point of view, what's it like without Broad Anderson? Because it must be different. It's, it has been one of them here since 2003 on a tour. So I think what, what's it been like without Jimmy O'Brody? Yeah, naturally it has been different. I mean, every test uh, series that I've played in have been a part of it since 2012 when I made my debut. So naturally it is different not, not having them here. But um, with that comes an opportunity for the other guys to step up into into their shoes, doesn't it? And, um, and I think that's the exciting part for the for the younger guys to take up that more senior role within the bowling attack and also within the group from a leadership point of view. Um, the experience and knowledge that those guys have obviously isn't on the on the tour at this time, so other people have got to step up uh, into those roles. And what do you think the biggest challenge is in that? Um, well, I, I think that obviously... Uh, you're probably looking at Wokesy to be taking the new ball. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the things that I think he's going to be really excited about because uh, the majority of his test career he's been um, bowling first change. So I think that's something that will relish and we've seen him do so well um, with the white ball, um, especially with that new ball. And then obviously we know his skills with the red ball uh, for Warwickshire as well. So look, I think that that's an exciting uh, period for him to come in with that new ball. And a lot was made... Yeah, I don't want to keep going back to, to the Ashes, but looking back on Australia now, the preparation you've just had, you are, what, 48 hours away from the first Test match. It's been a different preparation here. I think, can you, look, can you look back on Australia and think, no matter what happened in them sort of five Test matches because of what happened before, not wanting to make excuses, did you really stand any chance in Australia? The preparation wasn't ideal, let's be really honest about it. I mean, there was five of us that came off the back of a T20 World Cup um, the two weeks quarantine in uh, the Gold Coast and then obviously the weather hit so we didn't actually get any warm-up game time in prior to that first test so if I'm honest uh, it was always going to be tough going to Australia we know that um, but coupled with the uh, preparation that we had it was even more tough and we, and we saw that and you've had seven I think seven lads here get 40 plus you got 100 in the first game um, what did you take from that first game? I know the surface wasn't the greatest, but what did you take from that first? Time in the middle. Time in the middle, I think that's the biggest thing to enable guys to spend a bit of time out there. You obviously have um, Zach and, and Leezy um, at the top of the order, the way that they started and went about it was fantastic. And then 
Um, you look at someone like uh, Dan that came in and batted at four in that warm-up game. It, it was brilliant to see the guys uh, come in and, and occupy the crease for a period of time because um, over here there's potential of it to be a fairly attritional cricket at times. We know that the wickets uh, may do bits, but there also are going to be times when it, it goes a bit flatter. So making sure that the concentration's there and that uh, time is spent out in the middle in order to get your rhythm because... In Australia, there wasn't too long spent out in the middle. Um, and obviously, in between then and now, uh, for the lads to, to be out there for a period of time has been key. And you got, uh, obviously, 100 in this, this warm-up game, 100 in the last Test match in, uh, in Hobart. You First of all, is six your spot? Do you want to bat six? Is that where you prefer to bat? Because you've gone from three to five to seven to one to, to wherever. Um, Johnny Bairstow now without David Milan and Josh Butler on this trip as well as Broad and Anderson there is a, an, an extra level of responsibility on your shoulders um, and comfortable where the, where the back spot is yeah look I'll, I've always said that I'll bat wherever Joe wants me to me to bat um, so I think at this moment in time potentially that is going to be at six and coupled with the experience that we've got within that middle order and then Obviously, um, folksy keeping, um, potentially another bat batting spot uh, being available to have guys that haven't necessarily played as much as, as others uh, in and amongst, I think it could be a really nice combination because you don't want a load of inexperienced players all, uh, all batting next to each other and together having, having more experienced players with slightly less to, to help and potentially um, guide through in, in inverted commas or uh, enable them to flourish uh, having passed on experience of potentially facing the West Indies balls I think could be key You mentioned Ben Folk's keeping so if Ben Folk keeps in the first test match that would have been three, the last three test match England would have played but three different keepers and I know there's an element of frustration from some quarters me included that you average 40 with the bat and with the gloves um, does it frustrate you that you weren't one of them you haven't been one of them three or is the, the gloves parked not even bringing them on tour anymore <laughs> no, no, the, the gloves are not parked uh, no they're definitely not parked um, I think what the, I mean is do you still do you still feel as though you want a challenge to be we keep a batsman yeah I do and obviously being on the tours and being a reserve keeper is what I am at the moment um, but if that opportunity arises then I'm ready to uh, ready to do that role as well um, because for a period of time I was doing it and, and hopefully doing it all right. Um, so look, if that comes uh, along again, then it comes along again. But my job at the moment is to is to bat at six, uh, contribute as much as I can batting at six, and um, and score as many runs as possible. And what do you see the challenges of this tour, especially from the, like the West Indies? Probably West Indies are probably stronger in the bowling department than they are in the batting department. Yeah, look, if you look at the history of uh, England tours over here to the West Indies, is it's been a long period of time now where um, we haven't actually won over it, so it's going to be a tough tour, make no, make no qualms about it. Um, I think that it's an exciting trip for, for a lot of people. Obviously, there's going to be some people making their debuts, which is an amazing achievement in itself. Um, there's going to be other people that um, are looking to stand up and, and be accounted. The challenges of it, like you mentioned, we know that they generally got a, a strong seam attack. Obviously, Kemar Roach has got a, a wealth of experience and knowledge. Um, Jason Holder uh, similarly but then coupled with a few of the younger guys as well that uh, we know that the, the seam attack generally has um, always got a bit of spice to it um, so that's exciting within itself as well and just on the I'm finishing off on the test series 
what you know, the, talking about the Barmy Army bringing four thousand to Barbados. I know what it's like. You mentioned what it's like to win across here. Uh, the last time they won, I think, two thousand and four was the only time since '68 they've won, and the Barmy Army were ridiculous there. What's it going to mean to have the supporters back? You, you, you didn't sample it in the 2020s because you weren't here, and they were like fifty percent full. But it was there was an amazing atmosphere. I think the back end of it, the weekend, they were, they were starting to let a few more locals in. But what's it going to be like to have not only fans but Caribbean fans, right? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, um, we're very fortunate to have a special group of fans that come all over the world and travel with us, and that's been kind of put on hold for the last two years with COVID. And let's be honest, there's probably only a couple of better places, if any, actually, than um, the Caribbean to come and watch cricket. I'm sure there'll be uh, plenty of the fans maybe dipping in, uh, sampling the rum and cokes um, and, and having an amazing time. Uh, and that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about um, being away, hopefully us as a team, putting on a show and a performance for the, for the travelling fans and seeing the smiles and um, emotions on, on their faces because uh, we're very fortunate to, to be out there playing and, and be supported all around the world by them. You mentioned a bit earlier about the younger players um, and this, this has been named a sort of project restart by Sir Andrew Strauss. Um, there's a few familiar faces, though, that you're going to have potentially making their debut. How nice is that going to be? See, I can think of Matt, uh, Alex Lees, I can think of Matt Fisher's in there, Saki Mahmood's in the squad, who potentially could make his test debut. Uh, how good is that going to be to see, from your point of view, from a senior player's point of view, and what sort of advice do you, do you give these young players, if any? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, Alex Lees and, and Matty Fisher there, two lads that... I've been very fortunate to grow up with the Yorkshire and, and Leesy. I've spent some very special times with him. Um, when we won the county championship, he was an integral part of that. Uh, there's been some challenges within his his own life, changing clubs and going up to up to Durham and, and seeing him in flourish and, and everything up there. I think's a, a testament to him as a person and a character. Um, and I think he's got the character um, to go out there and open the batting for England for a period of time because um, you've got to have the character and able to do that and the presence and able to do that and and I know that he's got that he's got he's got something deep within him to uh, to really stand up when the chips are down and I'm excited for him uh, and I'm sure he, he is too and and likewise Matty Fisher it seems like he's been around for absolutely ages making his debut so young and he's had his challenges with his injuries and uh, understanding his body as as many fat, young fast bowlers do because you get niggles you get um, bits that are sore and he's kind of figuring out Right, can I bowl through that? Can I not bowl through that? It's an understanding within your body. But look, the way he's bowled uh, in the county championship for Yorkshire and then uh, for the Lions this winter out in Australia was really impressive. And look, if he gets an opportunity, then it'll be fantastic. And it, as you say, it's an exciting time for, for these younger guys to come in. And, and Saki, we've seen Saki do it in the, in the white ball stuff. Um, and look, we know that he can move the ball. That's the exciting part of it. And he moves it in a kind of... Uh, unconventional way with with his slightly slinger action and if there is going to be any reverse swing out here then he's definitely someone that you can look out for to to be looking to reverse it with that action that he's got and also the experience that he's got playing at Old Trafford. Your your experiences of the sort of of now moving forward England have got some decisions to make you've worked there's a, a, a lot of speculation about coaches coming in you know Gary Kirsten's been mentioned who you work with down at Welsh Fire um, Collie and Trez who are who are here now 
going forward, it's hard, I know it's hard for you to say who you what you put in as, as, as coach, but having worked with some of the coaches and the experienced players you have done, what do you think this, this Red Bull team needs now moving forward? It's the million dollar question. <laughs> it's literally the million dollar question. And thanks for not teaming me up with it before. <laughs> um, look, I, I think that there's, there's many different uh, areas that you'll look at. I don't know who the right man is. I don't know. I think, I'll, 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 I'll refresh it. I'll rephrase the question again um, in a way that we've heard, we've heard Pat Cummins say what he said about Justin Langer, saying that he was too demanding, too tough, and too. Oh, does, is this stage of development, I go off my experience, so I have a conversation with mates here. But in my infancy of my career, Nasser Hussein was probably one of the best captains I could have had at the time because he was, he was, he was very demanding, very controlling, pushing you down a direction and learning you the game of international cricket. Where Michael Vaughan came along 20 test matches later because we all came together and it was the right time to move on. Is there a path that this this Red Bull team needs, not the White Bull team, the Red Bull team needs to succeed? Does it does it need somebody to guide them, or does it somebody need to let them loose? I think a bit of both, if I'm honest with you. But that also comes from county cricket as well. I think that that's uh, a big part of it. And we forget that Red Bull cricket and White Bull cricket within the country are all intertwined. So actually. Um, building for a sustained period of time in just the Red Bull cricket is actually very tough with different parts of scheduling um, the test matches uh, county championship and all of the different comps that come with it so look I think that you mentioned something earlier on about character I think that that's a, a really important part and whoever comes in will understand the, the different characters and different stages of people that are in the careers you've obviously got Rooty that's played 114 test matches you've got some people that are making their debuts um, but I think within the group and the qualities that we have got within the group is that um, people that have been around the white ball group from that reset in 2015 and taking it forward to 2019 uh, to then winning a World Cup there's, there's a group of players that have done that already with the white ball group that are really excited about hopefully doing that with the red ball as well um, and we've also got to understand that it's not just going to happen overnight. These, these things are not just going to uh, magically fall into place and, and everything. It's going to take a lot of hard work. Like you mentioned, it's going to take some guidance from, from um, coaches, uh, whoever comes in, and a vision as well. Uh, and, and whoever it is that does um, step into those shoes, uh, I'm sure will have their own vision and, and will look to put their own mark on this Red Bull side. What was the biggest biggest thing that happened in that 2015 reset um, for this that white ball team? Look, it was about backing yourself and taking your game to the next uh, the next level. The no fear aspect, the uh, relishing the challenge, the not taking a backward step, um, which enabled us to then uh, push on forward and, and break the barriers of your 300s, your 350s, your 400s, your 450s. Um, and that was, that was the biggest thing with that. Um, but I think with that also, you were able to do that because I think Owen had a vision himself as to, right, this isn't going to work straight away. And he backed people for a long period of time to enable them to get used to playing in that certain way, to enable the group to get used to playing in that style. Um, so the fear kind of went out of it. If you fail, it's OK, because you failed trying to play in that right way. Um, but that's going to be different again in Red Bull cricket because you can't just go out with that, with that blasé 
um, uh, attitude, if you like. There's a lot of uh, technical, um, technical stuff, mental resilience, strength, and character that uh, that you've got to have in order to be successful at Test cricket. And fast forward, if you had a crystal ball in three weeks' time, three weeks, three what? weeks' time, what would you what would you like to get on the plane going back to England, having been the biggest success on this trip? Both team and uh, team and individual. Yeah, I think that as a team we'd like to win the series. That's that's one of the that's the biggest thing that we're uh, we're striving for. The the camp leading into this first test has been really good. Uh, the environment's been awesome, and um, and the lads are excited for, for next week. So we'd like to win the test series. You, you don't come into a series um, thinking, oh, we'll take a draw or or a loss. You're coming into every series, every game, wanting to win that. Uh, and then on a personal level, I'd like to score a, a, another hundred on this trip. Um, I'm happy with where my, where my game's at, and if I can keep building, um, if I can keep building with that, then then yeah, of course I'd, I'd like to do that. Johnny, thanks for your time, and I hope everything comes true. Cheers, thanks, Harvey. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. OK, we are we are chasing time here. Neil Manthorpe, one word answer. Should Johnny Bairstow be England's wicketkeeper for, the, for this series, for the first test? Yes. In the game. And he bowled him now! That's a brilliant comeback! 
Incredible bowling from Jimmy Anderson. I've spoken to both Stuart and to Jimmy and they're obviously disappointed. A little bit of this and a little bit of that, I would think. And there it is! Oh, Jimmy Anderson! And no point has been made very clear as well that no one's saying that this is the end for them. Chris Wokes continuing from the golf course end after the drinks break edged! Drinks break's done it! Ben Stokes takes the catch at second slip. Now the guys that are on the tour have got a real opportunity to strengthen what could be the backbone of this team moving forward. So that was Joe Root uh, talking about the decision to omit uh, Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. And he said the backbone of the side moving forward. Well, it was funny that Ollie Robinson walked off with a bad back in the warm-up and he will not play. Uh, back spasms have, have ruled him out and it, it looks a callow bowling lineup now. I think only Mark Wood has, has actually bowled in the West Indies before. And the last t- time he did, Matt Pryor was there with us uh, alongside uh, Neil Manthorpe and, and Steve Harmson. Uh, Matt, Great to have you on the show. Good to chat to you. You're going to be part of our commentary as of Tuesday. Um, I was listening intently to Jimmy Anderson speaking about the fact he said that him and Stuart Broad, um, well, they were pretty angry for a couple of weeks, but now they've put it on the back burner. They see it as a new challenge, and they're going to they're essentially they're getting down to it, and they're going to they're going to try and prove themselves once once again. I mean, your thoughts, really? They're your close buddies. We've had a drink together with them. Um, in Gaul, actually, a very nice establishment. Yeah. But you know, your—I mean, your thoughts looking on. But also, I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I imagine that you've spoken to to one, if not both of them. Have they have they put it to one side? Are they uh, are they seeing things yeah, a bit well, more clearly? Firstly, hi guys, welcome. Great to be back with the team again. It's been been a while, but really looking forward to the series coming up. And of course, with all these changes, um, you know, quite a significant series for this new look England cricket team. Yeah, look, I've I've, I've spoken uh, to to both of them. Well, I've spoken to I've spoken to Brody, um, absolutely. And I'll, of course, I'm not going to go into detail with regards to what what was said. But the first thing I'll say is, uh, you know, and rightly so. I think they're they're hurt more than anything else, and not so much about the decision to be left out, but how it was managed in in the first place. And I think players that have given so much to this England, I mean, they're two of the best ever, right? To, to have a sort of five-minute phone call to say, oh, bad news, mate, you're not going on the trip. But, you know, the door's not shut. We hope to see you in the summer. You know, you sort of think of that in a business sense. You, you're going up to the sort of exec chairman and kind of going, well, you know, we've had a meeting as a board and we sort of think you, you're probably going to retire, but you might not. We're going to wait till the summer before you let... It just wouldn't happen. You know, that management has been has been pretty poor. And I think that's, that's the, the, the thing that, they'll be struggling with but as Jimmy said the other day they are both the the reason why they've been so good for such a long time is they are consummate professionals and you know they're big enough boys they've got thick enough skin to play 150 60 test matches or whatever it is they'll dust themselves down and and they'll do whatever's whatever's needed and necessary to to come fighting back if if they choose that's exactly what they want to do Um, but look they're not in the West Indies. We will, I'm sure, talk a lot about it. But we've also got to focus on the players that are there, I think. Um, you know, I, I find it quite an odd... Look, Broad and Anderson aren't going, but the door is still open. Hopefully we'll see them in the summer. Well, that can't be true because you've just picked a young look bowling team. You're basically saying, we don't want them to succeed. Because if you're going to get Broad and Anderson selected first <laughs> test of the summer... 
That means the guys that are over in the West Indies haven't done very well. Whereas if the guys that do who have been selected do brilliantly, then why on earth would they not play in the first series? So I think we have to look through that slightly. Um, and, and of course, look at, look at the players that are there. Matt, uh, I don't know whether you were trying, but you failed to disguise the frustration in your voice. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so I apologise for asking you uh, about a different topic, which is probably an equal source of frustration. But I'd like to rewind to, was it 2017, 2018? 2018. We 2018, when we were in Sri Lanka. England took three keepers on the tour, and then when they selected Ben Folkes, you you called it then. You said... The ramifications and the repercussions of this selection will last four years. And I didn't get it at the time, and I asked you to explain it. So, you know, now we've got Johnny Bairstow batting six, and we are four years down the line now, and Ben Folks will keep wicket at seven. Um, and you, you called it. You absolutely called it. You said this is a problem for, for the long term, and it is. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, at that time, man, as I remember looking at it, thinking, hold on, you know, I think we're, England were really struggling with finding an opening opening batsman or an opening pair. We're struggling with the spin bowling, which, with which again, both haven't really been uh, sorted yet. And we had Butler and Bersto who were playing brilliantly. Bersto rolled his ankle, if, if everyone remembers, and, it, you know, you sort of thought, OK, well, Butler would just get called in. And um, suddenly folks get shipped in to, to Sri Lanka and makes his debut now. He did brilliantly, comes in, scores 100, and, and there's your headache. You know, you're back to, do you play the best keeper? Do you play the, you know, Besto and, and Butler are proven international quality and X-factor players as well that you know can turn the game around. Um, and, yeah, man, as we, we spoke about it then and, and you know, believed it was going to be, they, they created an issue where they, quite frankly, didn't need to be one. Um, I'm, am I surprised folks is in? I'm not surprised folks is in the squad, at all, Butler had to. I mean, you could just see in in that Ashes series, he was he was gone. I, unfortunately, you know, I've I've had my own experience of that. When you stood there with the gloves on and you just do not want the ball to come your way, it is the worst position in cricket. Uh, I mean, I can imagine what it must be like at the top of your mark if you're feeling you know not in in rhythm. But at least you can sort of have a spell, put your cap on, and disappear to 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 find leg or third man. When you're keeping and you're in the middle, you just you don't want the ball to come to you. The problem is it's coming to you for, for seven hours. Um, and, and uh, you know, you could see Butler just, he, he, he was gone. Um, now, what I potentially would have done is I would have said, right, Johnny Bairstow's stats in test cricket, he, he averages the most or his best average is batting at seven with the gloves. Now, I don't see why. The only reason he was dropped back in Sri Lanka was because he rolled his ankle. Or he wasn't dropped, he got injured. I'm quite shocked that they haven't gone, right, Johnny, you're going to have a run now. Batting at seven with the gloves as a number one keeper, right? You're the man in charge, off you go. Um, that's what I would have been tempted to do purely because, and I'm not, and I, I can I can feel it already, people will be going, how can you say that folks is the best keeper? Folks is the best keeper, absolutely. But your wicked keeper, the game has changed. Your keeper has to score hundreds, not just runs, not average 20 or 30, your wicketkeeper has to average 40 and score hundreds, batting at seven. And Besto is a better chance of, of doing that. And again, I'm not saying folks can't bat. I'm not saying he's not a good batsman. But I think he averaged 20 odd in the championship last year, which isn't, which isn't obviously great, a great return. Um, but very exciting. He's, he's got the chance now. Um, and 
you know, we of course wish him all the best. His his stats in Test cricket, and when he came in onto the scene, you know, hundred on debut, looks every part of an international cricketer. Certainly with the gloves. I mean, he's you know the, the keeping speaks for itself. Um, but he will know he has to score runs. Absolutely, he will have to score runs. Ali, I want to talk to you about the management um, and the management of this group and this side. Um, me and you will never get jobs with ECB because we've both got opinions. So we can quite comfortably speak with uh, our own free will and our own free man- uh, free will. You mentioned there somebody struggled at the top of their mark. Trust me, I know what that feels like. It was about four balls and over for me. So, yeah, from, from, from the management point of view, when you look at this squad and you look at how it's been picked and the conundrums they've had coming into it, does it worry you who's making the decisions? Because what I mean by this is, if you're going to pick Ben Folks as the keeper, Johnny Besto as a batsman, you're not going to play Ollie Pope and you're going to take two inexperienced openers. Why have you not taken another opening batsman as opposed to a middle-order batsman who can't, who can't open? You've taken no Broad and Anderson and you've taken a bowler who has got injury problems in Ollie Robinson, or fitness problems in Ollie Robinson, injury problems in Matt Fisher and, and Mark Wood. Does it worry you... If, coming from a sort of management point of view, the ECB hat on, who is making all these decisions because it frightens the life out of me. Yeah, and it's not just who's made the decisions, but who's going to then live with with those decisions because, or inherit those decisions because, you know, is is Strauss going to stay, stay in charge? Or he's doing this interim period, and I don't know exactly how long it is, but it's kind of like, is it going to be six weeks and he's back on the golf course again? having just dropped a grenade in the room and sort of shut the door behind him for someone else to sort of come in and clear up. And you sort of think, well, to, to come in and make those calls, they are big, big decisions. You kind of have to own them. So I would assume that Strauss must be thinking, well, this is the job I want and I'm going to take this on to with a, with a goal like he so brilliantly did with the white ball team, pick it up when it was at its absolute worst and go and win a World Cup. You know, that's what Strauss is very good at. And I would not be surprised at all. In fact, I feel like it's quite an obvious thing. The ECB will be going, we want to win the Ashes in Australia. That will be the new folk of Red Bull focus. Who was the last captain to win the Ashes in Australia? Strauss. Right. We want you to come in and lead like you led, you know, England to the first World Cup, White Ball uh, World Cup or 50 over win. We want you to lead the, the you know, the next win uh, Ashes win in Australia because it's such a big, big thing. And of course, it was so embarrassing this this winter how how they went. Um, but you know, Paul Collingwood taken over as coach. How much say as he had? It's a really difficult thing to do because you kind of you, you don't want to act like an interim, sort of there for a bit of a jolly in the Caribbean. You you want to you want to own it. You want to own that role and build the team out as if you are going to be the coach for the foreseeable future. Um, but, but how, how he manages that will be a, a big challenge. Um, and then, of course, for the players. You know, I think, I think Brody even came out in an article sort of saying, well, look, I'm pretty hopeful because the people making the decisions might not be the people in charge going forward, i.e. Strauss and, and Collingwood. If a new, new coach comes in, new uh, manager director, director of cricket comes in and they say, you know what, actually, we'll have Broaden and Anderson. They'll, they'll do for us. Thank you very much. You know, they might be whisked straight back in. So the, the one thing it does potentially um, have is, is, a, is a derailment factor and it could all go horribly wrong. Having said that, um, I was in the West Indies playing when 
In fact, Tommy, I think you were you were there as well yeah, when you got I was there as well. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was. I, I, I was the tenth wicket at 50, fifty-one for ten. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that was that was a phenomenal effort. I mean, getting bowled fifty-one <laughs> on, 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 on any time is a great effort, but on that wicket yeah. as well, even better. Yeah. Um, you know, we we sat down and we had that meeting. And that point, you know, there was a big fallout with Moores and Peterson and Andy Flower. Strauss had just yeah. taken over as captain. He was new captain and. And Andy Flower came in as the kind of interim assistant coach just for that tour. Um, but we made such good strides forward and big stride forward. You know, Andy then, you know, he and Strauss got on very well and, and the, re the rest is history. So kind of my point is what you can have is, when, you know, when you, when you are so low um, and people expect so little, that can really galvanise the group, particularly with new young blood as well. Um, Collie as a young, young coach. Um, you can it can really galvanise that troop and build quite a strong dressing room because it feels like you against the world, um, mm -hmm. and that can be a really powerful thing. It can build a really powerful culture, um, and I'm sure knowing Collie, you know, as we both do, that's exactly what he'll be saying to to the lads. Look, you've got the chance here. Let's build this. Let's keep this group. Let's get this group really tight. Let's remember what it is to to represent England. Everyone's got a great chance. Let's go do something special and start. Um, what could be a really exciting journey um, with a with a positive tour of the West Indies? Well, I've never heard a wicketkeeper at the top of a long run up before, but uh, Matt, I, I just can't wait to get you uh, back on air on Tuesday throughout this uh, this first Test match. Thanks so much for your time, and it's exactly that kind of insight and opinion and humour. Um, that uh, we try and make the bedrock of our cricket commentary on TalkSport 2. Um, still plenty to come on the show, listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport with myself, John Norman, Neil Manthorpe and the former England fast bowler, Steve Harmison. And if you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. I haven't got much time until the end of the show. Neil Manthorpe, in terms of uh, competitive series, I make this. Um, this I looked at the odds before we came on air, what well, we both did. It's close, isn't it? England are evens, I think, and uh, West Indies are 13 to 8. As, in terms of the series, do you see this as competitive a series as, as there's been in the Caribbean between these two sides in... I don't know. Well, since when Harmy was over there in two thousand and three, oh four. Yeah, it's very, very difficult to to call. Um, I think that it depends whether guys like Zach Crawley um, are able to uh, um, exert themselves and 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 play to their potential. Because I, I you know, I, you can't cannot deny that that statistically we've got two weak batting lineups apart from Joe Root, obviously. And my 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 fear is that England won't learn the what they want to learn and get out of this. I mean, you know, if if Chris Wokes um, suddenly starts taking wickets with with the new ball, does that mean that there is a difference if it's a very weak batting lineup that Jundah performs? I mean, they've got middle-order batsmen averaging less than 30. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, if, if if England bowl the West Indies out for 180 and we end up with a couple of short test matches, is that really going to help them progress in the summer against New Zealand and South Africa? Uh, Steve Harmison, if you were to go in with one of those bowling lineups, which one would it be? Which do you think is the stronger looking, on paper at least? Um, I think the West Indies, because they're at home, has got a they're better bowling than they are batting. I think England, I actually think England's batting unit, I think because of there's a few ones done sort of tried, untested, we don't know about. 
whether that can be how strong that can be. I'm talking about Lees and, and, and Lawrence, uh, especially Lawrence in that middle order. I think Pesto, Stokes, Pesto, Folks, Wokes, Overton, that's quite strong if England's top order can give them a chance. So England could get some runs on the board. If they get three, 300 could be a good score in this series. 300 could be a really good score in this series. So if Mark Wood fires, I think there's a huge onus on, on him. Um, but I think England have got a great chance of winning. I really do. I don't think it's going to be high quality. I think two sort of a bang average sides. I think the world ranking shows that. Um, but England have a chance to, to sort of start going forward. And I really hope that's what they do. Win the first test match. That means West Indies have to play on pitches, which have got something in it. And then England hold the, hold the cards in the upper hand. So for me, I'm going to back England. Brilliant stuff. Harmy is going to be past, uh, or part of the uh, the coverage, which begins at one o'clock on Tuesday on TalkSport 2. Steve Harmison uh, alongside uh, the two-time World T20 winner, Samuel Badri, and uh, Mark Butcher as well. Mark Nicholas, uh, Neil Manthorpe, Jarrah Kimber and uh, Gareth Batty, as well as uh, Matt Pryor. So please join us then. Big thanks to both Harmy and Neil Manthorpe. For the last hour or so, I hope we've got the balance right between, of course, reflecting on the horrendous and tragic news that came through that shocked the world of cricket uh, on Friday. And then to turn things around to the attention, just uh, looking forward a little with a, a touch of optimism. It's uh, it's going to be a great series, come what may. All three tests are on Talk Sport 2, as I say, getting underway on Tuesday at uh, 1pm. So please be sure to join us on TalkSport 2. But for now, that's it. Thanks for listening to The Cricket Collective. Well, thanks for downloading The Cricket Collective as part of the following on feed. If you ever have any ideas uh, for guests or, or maybe a question or two for Steve Harmison or Neil Manthorpe, you can, of course, get in contact at cricket underscore TS. Get your questions in and the guys will uh, answer the questions every Tuesday on the Cricket Collective. Also, uh, if you got this far, please leave us a review. Nice one, if possible. Uh, and uh, subscribe as well. And uh, if you are already a subscriber, then feel free to tell your mates. And if you want more content uh, from the likes of Steve Harmison, then uh, check out his YouTube channel. Uh, just type in Steve Harmison in YouTube and you'll see uh, a whole host of uh, fresh content, big interviews, uh, reaction, team and series preview and reviews uh, the whole lot there so uh, if you got this far thanks again for listening to the Cricket Collective and uh, we'll see you again soon The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism and this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 